All right, guys, let's, let's jump into a Pentecost message, shall we? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to pray and welcome the ministry, the grace, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Father, we're just so grateful that the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon all flesh, but in particular has been poured out upon the church. And today in the church calendar, we recognize and we realize 50 days after Resurrection Sunday, the Holy Spirit fell upon those faithful believers and made them into something that they were not before, made them the people of God, the church of the living God here in the earth. And Father, we pray today that you would do it again, that you would pour out your spirit afresh and anew, that you would fall on us and breathe on us. And God, that the fire of the Holy Spirit would burn bright and clean and hot in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's read Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And the they that they're referring to there are the faithful disciples of Jesus. About 120 or so followers of Jesus were gathered together out of obedience to the command of Jesus to wait for the promise that the Father was to send them. Verse 2, suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. So a couple of thoughts here. That picture or that manifestation of the violent wind is actually very significant for those of you who are aware of how wind and breath have been used throughout the Old Testament. If you recall in Genesis chapter 2, when God creates humanity, he breathes his life into them. That word in the Hebrew, ruach, is the same word as spirit, and it's the same word for wind and breath, all three of those words. So this is actually God doing something very visible and very very evidential right here when he's allowing this wind to blow. It's also a nod to Ezekiel 37. How many of you guys remember in Ezekiel 37, God pulls the prophet out to this valley of dry bones, and he says, what do you see, son of man, in this valley of dry bones? And Ezekiel begins to describe what he sees. And then God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the winds. The winds of the north and the south and the east and the west. And then the wind of God's spirit begins to blow over this valley of dry bones. So what's happening here is God's actually pulling these worlds together. Suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse three is one of my favorite verses. They saw, actually verse four, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse four, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna stop right there. Guys, this is a prayer that I pray for you often. So for those of you who are kind of checking out New Life Midtown, this is your first Sunday, or maybe you've come back after a few Sundays, you need to know, that in my prayer closet, I am praying, God, would you pour out your spirit afresh and anew? Would you fill every single one of us? These words right here, that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, that means something to me. It means that the person who's far away from God who joins us in our gatherings or in our small gatherings, that even the person that seems the farthest from God, that God could reach them, that God could touch them. The person who's coming in this morning that feels absolutely at the end of themselves, I'm praying God fill that person 
with your spirit. The person who needs a word of encouragement or needs peace in our soul because of the anxiety of life, I am praying, God, fill that person with your spirit. I'm praying that if you have been filled with the spirit and you just feel like you are on top of the world, yes, more, Lord, fill that person with your spirit. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them. So I grew up, my roots are in Pentecostal Christianity. And for those of you guys who are not aware of what Pentecostal Christianity is, it's a stream within kind of the larger family of churches in the body of Christ that dating back to about 1906 had some very profound moves of the spirit where it seemed like there was this kind of renewal and revival and restoration of the ministry and the activity of the Holy Spirit in the believers' lives. And I grew up believing that speaking in tongues was the, this is the classic phrase, the initial evidence of being filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit. This was the phrase that that we heard often. I'll never forget when I got to seminary, still carrying that thought with me. I had a professor, a guy by the name of Henry Letterly, who was uh, very, very learned in particularly pneumatology, the study of the spirit. And he began to question me in this area of initial evidence. And over the years, I've come to understand by the scriptures that speaking in tongues is not the initial evidence. It's not the only evidence. It's one of many evidences of being filled with the spirit. Look at this. They were filled with the spirit and they began to speak in other tongues. Other occasions you'll find in Acts that people are filled with the spirit or they're baptized in the spirit and speaking in tongues and prophesying are not mentioned, right? So what we find here is that there is a dimension to the Christian life that involves the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Like Pentecost is the day that we remember and that we receive afresh and anew the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. So go with me, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 3. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, what we find is that Jesus is meeting with his disciples after his resurrection. So Jesus is sent from God. Jesus is the son of God, fully God, fully man, come to lay down his life and reveal who God is to the world, to to announce that the kingdom of God has begun and that the kingdom of God is here. Jesus is crucified unjustly. He's murdered by the foreknowledge of God. He's executed. But by the spirit of God, three days later, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And then in this period of time, what's happening? Jesus comes back and he shows up to his disciples. And the scripture tells us that for a period of 40 days, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the kingdom. We find this in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. On one occasion, or after his suffering, he presented himself to them, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. So one of the things that we can understand here is that all of the years that Jesus is teaching, perhaps around three to three and a half years of his 
ministry with the disciples and announcing that the kingdom of God has come, there is this now intensive internship for about 40 days that he is sending these followers through because post-resurrection, there is now a new and deeper understanding and revelation of what the kingdom of God is and how it's moving and working in the earth. Look at verse four. It says that on one occasion while he was eating with them, and I love the fact that he's eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. We're going to talk today about the spirit-filled life. And what is the spirit-filled life? You know, over the years, and when I say years, I mean hundreds of years, there have been so many divisions and so many splits and arguments and controversies around the person and around the presence and around the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. And today, what I'd like for us to do, if we're able to, is I'd like for us to maybe take some of these phrases and some of these statements and some of these questions and just bracket them over to the side because I think that some of these things that have tripped a lot of us up really are a matter of semantics, right? There are some movements within the Christian family that say everything that you need in God, you got immediately and you got fully at conversion. Paul speaks of this a lot. And I believe that. I would say yes. We got everything that God has promised to us at conversion. And there's other segments of the body of Christ that say, but yet there are ongoing works and that there are ongoing experiences and there are ongoing encounters with the person of the Holy Spirit after salvation. And I would say yes to that as well. We're both right. Everything that God has given to us, we are fully saved and yet we are being saved and we will be ultimately saved, right? We have received the Spirit, and we are receiving, being filled continually with the Spirit, and there will be a day when we will be absolutely overcome by the Spirit of the living God and the new creation. When I was in the seventh grade, my dad was in the army, and we found ourselves bouncing around all over the place. Every two or three years, we'd move, and we had just come back to the States after a four-year stint, in Germany and in Holland, found ourselves visiting this Assembly of God church down in Killeen, Texas. And one of my buddies, appreciate that little shout out to Fort Hood Killeen. One of my buddies told me that there was a youth camp that was going on. I knew nothing about youth camps. See, when I grew up on a small army basis, you had Catholic churches and Protestant churches. That was it. That was, that's all you had. And there were about, you know, 10 people in each, these small military bases. So I come to this Assembly of God Church here in Texas, and I find out, man, you guys have youth programs and children's programs, and you guys have activities for the youth during the summer. So I sign up to go on this youth camp. And youth camp is like this massive bait and switch. It's amazing, right? In the daytime, I mean, like we're fishing and we're canoeing, we're playing field games and archery, and it's all these amazing activities. What they don't tell you is that we culminate every night with these three hour services. And, you know, they bring in this fiery evangelist preacher who comes in who can relate to the youth. I'm, I'm a 13-year-old seventh-grade kid, and 
And then I find that at the end of one of these services, there's an altar call for salvation, and then there's an altar call for the baptism or the receiving or the, or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I'm looking around, I'm thinking, man, everybody is going up to this altar but me. So I think I need to go up to this altar. So I go up to this altar, and everybody is like on their knees at this altar. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe I need to get, so I get on my knees at this altar. And I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to listen to the preacher and, then I'm looking around, and man, kids are rocking back and forth. They're crying. I'm like, maybe I need to cry. I'm going to cry right now, right? <laughs> so they're asking God, you know, God, fill me with your spirit. So I'm like, God, fill me with your spirit. And I have no idea if God filled me with this spirit. There is absolutely no evidence in my life. I live like an utter and absolute pagan from the seventh grade until the tenth grade. So I have no idea what happened in that space. But the point I'm making is this. In the 10th grade, there is this small little church. I mean, it's probably, you know, a tenth of the size of this room. And it was right up the road from us. I came home from basketball practice. This is now five years later for three years later from that tarrying experience. And my, I come into the house. My mom says, you know, get changed, get ready. We're going to this revival. And I said, I, I don't really want to go to this revival. I, I, you know, I'd strayed from the Lord, become pretty wayward, pretty indifferent in my faith. And, and the Lord said, I really don't care what you want. You're going to this revival. <laughs> and so I went, you know, digging my heels and I sat in, you know, in, in these pews and I folded my arms. And I have no idea what this traveling evangelist talked about the entire time. He was probably in his late 60s. I remember his name. His name was Jack Rowe. And he had given an altar call for healing, and my mom had went forward. So she went up to the very front of these pews, and I'm still about half the way back, and still I've got my arms folded. And after, she, after the evangelist gives the altar call for healing, he then gives an altar call for the receiving or the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And my mom turns around, and she locks eyes with me in front of God and everybody, and she looks me dead in the face. She goes, you come here now. <laughs> And I just, I just folded my arms and I just said, no. I'm thinking, I'm safe at least until the service is over. And then when we get home, it's, it's game over. But at least for now, I am not going up there and I'm not tarrying and crying and snotting and, and doing what I did before. Unbeknownst to me, there was a man that was sitting in front of me who happened to be a pastor in the city and he was what we might call a father of the city. He had been there for decades and had done such an amazing work building a network of churches called the Christian House of Prayer. His name was uh, Nathaniel Hokum, Bishop Nathaniel Hokum. And he turned around to me and he said, son, I, I walked by you tonight. And when I walked by you, I just felt my spirit leap inside of me. And as he began to talk to me, there was such a weight and a gravitas in, in just the conversation that I was having with him. I didn't know this, but when he walked by, there was something that happened inside of me too. But you know, as a 10th grader, all I could think was, man, this brother's cool. <laughs> Looking back now, I realized, oh no, my spirit was leaping inside of me too. I just didn't have language for it. He looked at me and said, young man, this entire service, I've just been feeling God tell me that you've got a, a mighty call on your life. And you're going to do great things in your generation. And what this evangelist is calling people forward to, you're, you're going to need this. This is really, really important. And he says, if you want, I'll walk up there with you. I'll stand right next to you. And, I'll, and I'm just butter right now. I'm just total butter in his hands. I'm like, yes, I'll go anywhere with you. <laughs> 
we get up and we're walking down these down this aisle going pew by pew and this traveling evangelist is probably about right here and to where Sam is right there. He just points his finger at me and he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I almost fell over and I started praying in tongues. Yeah. It was nuts. No tearing, no snotting, no crying, no screaming, no, no, none of that. It was just in one simple faith, faith-filled act of obedience. The Lord met me right there in that place. And I share that story to share this first point that the outpouring or the, the gift of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift. The baptism of the Spirit is a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You cannot be good enough for it. It doesn't come because you cry. It doesn't become because you tarry. It doesn't become because you, you know, are more fervent in your prayer times. It comes because you simply ask for it and the Father simply gives it as a gift. It is a good gift from a good Father. Yes. Now, you know, there are certain gifts that I think are just pure delight. Like they're not necessary gifts. They're gifts to be enjoyed. They're pleasurable gifts. I like those kinds of gifts. Right? For me... That would be an upgraded Traeger. That would be a pleasurable gift. I would take great delight in that gift, right? Uh, I don't need one. It would just be awesome, right? You just, you know, they've got Traegers now where you can just dial the entire temperature in with your phone. It's a smoker, Mike. It's a pellet smoker. And right now, if I had it, I could pull my phone out. And I could set the temperature so that by the time I got home after second service, the meat that was, okay, I won't go there. Anyways, listen, <laughs> pleasure gifts, right? A new pair of shoes, like whatever it is. Like you can always use a new, always use a pair of shoes, right? We don't need new shoes, but I mean, like, shoes are great. <laughs> but then there are functional gifts. My father-in-law is sitting right here. He is the direct counterpart to me because this man loves functional gifts, right? He is the easiest guy to shop for at Christmas. We love you at Christmas time, Poppy. Here's why. He says, give me a pair of socks. <laughs> I hate socks at Christmas. <laughs> it only took a few months before Christian and I got married. We had our first Christmas. I said, listen, I just want us to set something very, very straight here. I said, if I need it, don't you ever buy it for me. <laughs> All right. I don't want socks. I don't want draws. I don't want ties. I don't want any, if I need it, I will budget it and I will go out and I will buy it. I will plan it. I will research it. I will resource it and I will buy it. It's, if I need it, it's not a gift. But then, you know, I think the Holy Spirit is one of those gifts that are absolute delight, but totally functional. Like we need the Holy Spirit, but he's pure gift. And my prayer is that wherever you are in your journey today, or for those of you guys who are watching online, one of my prayers is that we would come to understand two things. Number one, how necessary the person and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit is in our lives and in our ministry. Like I want the weight of what the Holy Spirit brings to us to just get deeper, but I also want us to learn to enjoy and revel in and take pleasure in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. This morning I was out walking my dog about 6.30 and 
in our neighborhood, there's this little gravel trail that, that follows this big patch of land that hasn't been overcome by the thousands of homes that are overtaking our city. And you can still see the mountain and there's wide open spaces. And as I was walking this little gravel trail, I just found myself saying, God, I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. Man, thank you. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you for pouring out your spirit upon us. Thank you for the gift of the person and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The second aspect that we need to realize is, is that the infilling or the outpouring or the baptism of the spirit is not just a gift, but it's also a promise. Look at this verse right here in Acts chapter one, verse four. Jesus is saying, wait in Jerusalem for the gift that my father promised. It is a gift, but it's also a promise, and it's a promise because it's absolutely necessary. Pentecost and the baptism of the Spirit is this. It's God making good on his promise to give us everything we need until he returns. It's God making good on his promise. And if you look particularly at John chapters 14, 15, and 16, let me read you a couple of statements. I just... I just ripped these straight from John 14 through 16. These are just a handful of the promises that Jesus made about the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And not only will he do the works that I've been doing, Jesus says this. He says, greater works shall you do because I'm going to the Father and sending you the Spirit. So when we take inventory of the amazing things that Jesus did in the entirety of his ministry, he saw a guy that had leprosy. And the guy came up to him and he says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Yes, I'm willing to be clean. He found himself in a place where there was a scarcity of resources and there are thousands of people that are wanting to be fed. Jesus takes the little, he lifts it up to heaven, he breaks it and he gives it to all of these thousands of disciples. And then Jesus says, you're going to do things just like that and greater works shall you do because I'm going to the father. I'm sending you my spirit. Look at this. He says the advocate or the Holy spirit or the helper will help you. Anybody need help in the house today? I need help all the time for so many things in my life. And here's the thing. Jesus has promised. I'm not going to leave you without help. But imagine the disciples You've sold your boats, you've left the family business, you followed Jesus, and now you find yourself this fledgling group in a massive, oppressive Roman empire, and you're thinking to yourself, Jesus, you were the only thing. We saw the amazing things that you did, and you're the only thing that's keeping us from death. And Jesus says, listen, guys, everything that you need, everything that you need to live the life that I've promised you to live to bring the fullness of the kingdom into reality, into the earth, I will give that to you in the person and in the presence and in the power of the Holy Spirit. He says this in John 14, 18, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'll be with you, right? How are you with us? When you read Acts chapter one, the disciples see Jesus physically, bodily ascend into heaven. How are you with us? I'm with you in the person and in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're walking through today, friends, or whatever season of life you find yourself in, I want you to know you are truly never alone. And you're never alone, not in the sense of, you know, I think God is there, or 
I get these warm thoughts or these warm feelings about God. No, God said, when I give you the Holy Spirit, it is the fullness of God with you and in you at all times. Right now, God is with you. And he's not with you because you're in a church service. He's with you because he is in you. If you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit in salvation. But when you leave these doors, he's with you and he's in you because that is what God has promised. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have taught you. Do you ever find yourself, whether you're reading books or listening to podcasts, or maybe you're sitting in amazing preaching services like this, and you walk away and you're like, man, I didn't fully understand or I didn't fully unpack or decompress. Maybe it's more like services where Chris Green preaches. I need the Holy Spirit to unpack what Chris Green preaches. But here's the thing. Jesus has promised that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And the Holy Spirit will reveal things to you at the exact time that you need them. You ever find that? You're like you're trucking along and maybe you're faithfully reading the scriptures or you're sitting underneath a sermon and you've read that verse a thousand times. And then just in that right way, in that right moment, it's like there was just another layer that was pulled back and there was light that was shined down on it. And you're like, how did I miss that all of these years? And truth and revelation come. How is that? It's because Jesus promised that the things that I've taught you, I'm going to cause them to make sense to you in the right way at the right time. It's a promise. The gift and the outpouring and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a promise from God. He will guide us into all truth and he will speak only what he hears and tell us what is to come. So we know that it's a gift. We also know that it's a promise. But here's the funnest part. The outpouring of the Spirit for the people of God is an empowerment. It's a gift, it's promise, and it's power. Right? The baptism of the Spirit empowers us to live the Christian life and to do the works of the kingdom. So when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, do not leave Jerusalem. That's not a suggestion, by the way. Like, think about this. That was not a suggestion. When Bishop Holcomb was having that conversation with me, that was pure suggestion. It was, hey, son, do you want to come down to the front? I'll go with you. Jesus was telling those disciples, guys, in order for you to do what I am leaving you in the earth to do, in order for you to carry on this work that I've begun, in order for you to make the kingdom of God known into the world, this is a non-negotiable. This gift of the outpouring of the Spirit is absolutely crucial for you to carry on the kingdom work that I'm giving to you. So wait for the gift. Wait in Jerusalem. My Father's promised to you it's going to come. And here's what they say to Jesus. They say, so is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still thinking in this nationalistic empire paradigm. Is now the time that you're going to overthrow Rome? Is now the time that you're going to restore to Israel everything that has been taken to us? And this is what he says, guys, listen, it's not for you to know the times or the dates that the father has set by his own authority. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is this is the way that the final line of the Lord's prayer is fulfilled. What are you talking about, Pastor Jay? We know the prayer. We pray it every week. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. By the way, Jonathan, great, great job last week. But then we, we, we close this prayer out with this, um, 
amazing and yet enigmatic line of the prayer that says, for yours is the glory. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory forever and ever. And when Jesus is speaking to his disciples right there in Acts chapter 1, here's what he's telling them. This is how that is lived out. Kingdom power and glory are lived out not in the way that Roman conquerors, not in the way that nationalistic empires live out kingdom power and glory. Kingdom power and glory are lived out. Look at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now let me just pause here for a second. Just think about this. In John chapter 14 through 16, particularly in John chapter 14, here's what Jesus says to his disciples. He, just be, he begins to tell these guys, guys, I'm about to go away into, into heaven. And many of you guys may remember this conversation. Philip says, well, tell us where you're going. And he says, Philip, where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he begins to teach them about who the Holy Spirit's going to be to them. And he says this. He says, up until now, the Holy Spirit has been with you. Right? But when I go, he's going to be in you. And here what we find in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, 5, and 8, is that there is a dimension where the Holy Spirit will be upon you. Right? The empowerment for the assignment that God has given you in the earth to fulfill with him and for him and by the power of his spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Friends, I want you to know that the outpouring of the Spirit is to help you fulfill kingdom assignment. To help you fulfill kingdom work. Now, years ago when I was reading those verses, my assumption, because I had a very secular versus sacred divide. And what that means is when we have this dualistic mindset we kind of put everything that we think is God or kingdom or spiritual work, we put that in the arena of the church or in spiritual things. But I've come to understand now many, many years ago that there is no sacred versus secular divide in God, right? That God is a holistic God and that the things that he's doing are not reserved in certain spiritual spaces for spiritual moments. You will receive power to be my witness is every moment of every day of every situation you find yourself in. So for those of you parents who are raising little kids, the Holy Spirit will empower you to be a witness to your children. For your marriages, the Holy Spirit will empower you to be a witness to other married people or people who want to be Married, I said this in first service, I probably shouldn't, but I said, you know, you find yourself in your home and all the windows are down and you're wanting to blow a gasket and you want to raise your voice and the Holy Spirit will help you to maintain your witness in your neighborhood by not screaming and shouting at your family. The Holy Spirit will empower you to be a witness. Or you find yourself at work, those of you guys who are business owners, find yourself in the arena of business. Listen, there are solutions to problems in your businesses, and the Holy Spirit will empower you for those solutions. If you're anything like me, you might be thinking, I need to read more, I need to study more, I need to go to more conferences, more workshops, I need to rise up earlier and go to bed later. There is a grace that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit to help you enter into the ease of your work to produce more with less. It is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. There's going to come a day when you're going to have co-workers or other business owners and they're going to come around and they're going to say, how are you doing that stuff? Where'd you figure that out? And you're going to have the incredible opportunity to be a witness and say, let me tell you about my friend, the Holy Spirit. 
Because the scripture tells me in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that he will empower us to be witnesses. Here's a really fun story. I found myself with a team in Nicaragua a few years ago. And there is a dynamic to the spirit, particularly in proclaiming and making known the reality of who God is as expressed in the gospel that I think the Holy Spirit just loves to come sit on and breathe on. And we found ourselves, it was me and Dusty and Greg in a, in a prison in Nicaragua. Who else was with us, Greg? There was another guy, wasn't there? And Ivan. Ivan and Dusty and me and Greg were in a men's prison in Nicaragua. And to my knowledge, Greg, you had never stood up in front of a big group of people like that, particularly not in a prison, right? And they had asked Greg if he would share some truths and principles about who God was and share part of his story. And I saw this guy stand up in this, look like a scene from Prison Break, man. And Greg stands up and he just pours out his spirit and the power of God totally without a doubt, unquestionably was anointing and empowering Greg for that moment. Wouldn't you agree with that, Greg? I remember you saying like, I felt it was physical, like something was literally surging through my body. Guys, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers our lives for faithful and fruitful witness to who God is. And here's the last component of the outpouring of the Spirit. I think it's beautiful. It's for all people. It's gift. It's promise. It's power. But it's available for all. So in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we see this outpouring, which is the giving of the promise that God had made to his disciples. This was that endowment. This was that anointing that the, the early church needed. There's a group of onlookers that are watching and they're listening, and here's what they say. They say, how is it that we hear you declaring the wonders and the greatness of God in our own language? So we read there in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, when these guys now are speaking in their tongues, it was the language of the people that were around them, and they're saying, how is this even possible? And then they say, well, you guys must be drunk. And Peter stands up and he says, well, we might be drunk, but not as you suppose. We're not intoxicated with things of this earth, but there is something that is filling our lives that is utterly fulfilling, satisfying, and intoxicating in its own way. It is a holy intoxication with the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So then Peter stands up and he begins to preach a message to all these onlookers who do not know who Jesus is. He begins to declare to them the gospel. And I want you to think here for just one second, going back here for a minute on this idea of empowerment. For those of you guys who are not aware of, of who Peter is, Peter is one of Jesus's faithful disciples, but, but Peter had some mistakes. He had some shortcomings in, in his apprenticeship to Jesus. One of those being a time when Peter steps up and with great confidence and a little bit of arrogance, he says, Jesus, I'm never leaving you. All these clowns will leave you, but I'm never gonna leave you. And it was kind of the sense of like, I love you more than they all do. And I'm a little bit stronger in my faith than they are. And Jesus says, easy cowboy. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's going to be a rooster. It's going to crow. And before you know it, like you're going to have already denied me three times. And Peter's like, there's no way I will die for you. 
like a couple of scenes later in the story, G, or Peter is with this sweet, little, tender, precious young girl hanging out by a fire pit. And she's like, aren't you one of them? And he's like, no. He's like cursing at her. Same Peter. Oh, never. I'll die for you. I do not know who he is. This is Peter. <laughs> Peter gets restored back to fellowship with Jesus. And this is the same Peter after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Same Peter. Same Peter who denies Jesus in front of a little teenage girl, stands up in front of thousands, and Peter starts connecting dots in the scripture. Like if you read Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, Peter starts going back into the Psalms and saying, this is what's happening in the Psalms. He, wasn't, he, didn't, he didn't see that then. He didn't get that then. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure his mind and imagination and soul were saturated in the Psalms and the prophets. But in terms of understanding what was going on in the Psalms and the prophets and how they pointed to Jesus and how they pointed to the Holy Spirit and how they pointed to the age of the church, Peter didn't know any of that. Look with me, if you would, at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. This is Luke's commissioning Account or commissioning version. And we're going to look at verse 45, Luke chapter 24, verse 45. This is post-resurrection. Jesus has been crucified, risen again from the dead. He meets with his disciples, and here's what he says. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you, look at this, this is amazing. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed. New language here. You have been clothed with power from on high. There's this distinction of the spirit being within you, but then there is something from beyond you, from above you, that will come upon you to anoint you, to empower you for your mission. Now, here's something interesting. How many of you guys know the story? Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple. And there's a man who's been crippled for 40 years of his life. Can you imagine? 40 years Every day, he'd have a group of friends or family place him right there at the entrance to the temple, and he's looking with utter desperation, will you give me something and help me? And Peter fastens his eyes on him, and he says, listen, man, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do, we give you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. The man's healed. Instantaneously, he is running and jumping and is praising God, and the strength of God enters into his legs. And the religious people that are still kind of the power brokers of the systems and structures of that day, they are not happy. And they're saying, listen, you guys, I don't know what your deal is, but stop preaching that we killed Jesus and stop preaching that God raised him from the dead. Stop doing it. And Peter and John say, listen, we have to be faithful and we have to be obedient to what God has commanded us to do. You judge, you judge whether or not it's right for us to obey you or to obey God. So I said, fine, we're going to throw you in prison. So Peter and John are thrown into prison. They come out of prison, and they're having this confrontational conversation again with the religious leaders of that day. And at the end of it, they realize, the religious leaders realize, there's no way that we're going to shut these guys up. We're going to beat them one more time and send them on their way. 
So Peter and John end up going to a table group. This is a shameless plug for New Life Midtown (laughs) table groups. They end up going to a table group, which is what? It is a small gathering of believers who gather around tables in homes to experience the life of God together. The table group's having a prayer meeting, and they're praying for Peter and John's release. And Peter and John knock on the door, and they're freaking out, going, what are you doing here? And they're like, I thought you were praying. We should be here. You're praying for us. Peter and John enter into this table group and listen to what they pray in Acts chapter 4. This is incredible. They've just been beaten. They've just spent a night in prison. And they feel the insidious weight of the religious leaders against them. And they know in the same things that happened to Jesus could potentially happen to us. Nevertheless, they all gather around in that small little stone house and they grab hands and they begin to pray. God, would you consider their threats? We know that they have told us not to do this anymore. Consider their threats. And would you enable your servants to speak your word with even greater boldness? You know what they're praying right there? They are praying, God, give us power for the assignment at hand. Give us power that we don't shrink back from being faithful in the midst of persecution. And the scripture tells us that after they prayed, the entire room where they were was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter four. Go read it. Go read it. You guys should read it. It's amazing. It's incredible. So Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, and he's translating Old Testament scriptures for everyone. And this is what he says. This this is the final point here of our message in Acts chapter two. In verse 17 of Acts chapter 2, Peter says, just like the prophet Joel prophesied, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on who? All people. Not just Pentecostals, not just Charismatics. I will pour out my spirit, not just on kind of the people who have animated personalities. No, 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 listen. I will pour out, they probably need less of the spirit, right? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Look at this. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And prophecy in the mind of a New Testament Jewish believer, they would know immediately that prophecy was one of the cornerstone evidences of the empowerment of the spirit. Spirit comes upon Saul, who's a wicked king, and he prophesies. Spirit comes upon David, and he prophesies. Spirit comes upon Samuel, and he prophesies. They would immediately recognize this is language that speaks to the anointing and the empowerment of the Spirit. And here's the beautiful thing. In the Old Testament, it was for a select few, kings and priests and prophets. But in the new age, in this day, in the day of the resurrection, here's what Peter is definitively announcing that because of the crucifixion and the resurrection and ascension, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, and he is pouring out the Holy Spirit, say it with me, on all flesh, all people. And so here's the thing. You're here today, and you would say, I'm not really sure I understand all this. I'm not really sure I believe all this. Here's what I'm going to ask you. Let's set language aside. Baptism of the Spirit, outpouring of the Spirit, receiving of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. Let's just, let's just tuck that aside. Let me ask you these questions. Do you want to experience more of who God is? For me, it's a yes. Right? That's a yes. 
Do you want to encounter the presence of God on more of a daily and ongoing basis? Yes, for me, that's a yes, right? Do you have this sneaky suspicion, and actually more than a suspicion, do you have kind of this inner ache and this inner longing inside of you that says there has got to be more? I've been in church my entire life, and I just have something that is calling me, and I feel like there's something more out there. I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't put my finger on it. I can't put it into words. I can't explain it. I just know that there is more. There has to be more than just rummaging, you know, through an outfit, throwing it together, getting the kids together, and running off to a church, and then figuring out what we're going to eat for lunch afterwards, and hoping that I, you know, don't, don't cuss in front of my boss this week. I mean, there's, there's got to be more to this Christian life. And friends, I've come to announce to you today that there is absolutely more. God himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit, wants to encounter you and fill you Every day, over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. You know, here in a few weeks, my family and I, we're going to head to Southern California. And we're going to stay at a condo in Oceanside for about a week. And we're going we're gonna to walk probably a quarter of a mile. We're going to sit like we've done the past several years. We're going to sit right there at this, sit at this beach. And we're going to allow the waves of the ocean just to kiss us in the face and knock us over. And we're going to laugh like little babies all over again. And here's the beautiful thing, man, I'm telling you. The Holy Spirit is not just a force and it's not just an experience and it's not just an event that we experience once in our life. It's, it's like that sweet spot that you go to and man, when you're there, you can't even put it into words, but you just know something's washing over your soul afresh. It's like getting, getting reacquainted with that good friend. Like, you know, there's a difference between knowing someone for 10 years or 20 years, 30 years. I've got friends of mine that, man, I've, I've known for decades now. And it's a difference between knowing someone and really like experiencing them over and over and over again. Like, I didn't just meet you 30 years ago and like I've known of you and I, I see you again. Like, no, like every time we get together, it's like we're experiencing each other all over again. Guys, I'm here to tell you that, believe it or not, the infinite God in the person of the Holy Spirit says, friend, I can meet you every single day and I will blow your mind. I will make this Christianity so alive and fresh and fiery and fun and real and wild and spontaneous and adventurous and fulfilling and satisfying. Guys, stand with me to your feet this morning. Oh, I pray today that that faith has been awakened in your heart to say, Holy Spirit, I want to know you. I want to know you. And I want all that you have for me. Everything that you have. If it's available and if it's from God, I want it. <laughs> Father, today we hold open our hands. And friends, would you just do this with me? Just This right here is just a posture of receptivity. It's a posture of openness. And by our physical posture, Father God, we, we align the attitude and we align the expectation and we align the posture of our hearts and our minds. And we just say today, Holy Spirit, we want to know you. We want to experience you. We want to encounter you. We receive your gift. We ask for your gift. Every day, God, I ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And I'm so grateful and I'm reminded, Jesus, that you said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your good father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And today we just say, God, we, we want the gift of the Holy Spirit. We want the promise of the Holy Spirit. We want the empowerment of the Holy Spirit because we believe it's for all of us. And we ask you for it and we receive it by faith in the name of Jesus. Man, I think something special is gonna to happen to the t- at the table today. Friends, we welcome you to come and receive the body and the blood of Christ as we all take this together. Come forward if you would, and we'll pray again. Can we put Acts chapter 2, verse 38 on this screen? I want us to all look at these verses. <clears throat> I just felt my spirit quickened as some of you are coming up to the table. This is not for everybody. We're all in different places in our journey, but I just felt in my spirit there might be some in the room who would say, yeah, but you, you don't know. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. And friend, I want to emphatically declare to you today that nothing in God do we get because we deserve Nothing in God do we get because we have earned it. Everything in God is gift. And it is pure gift, not on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of what he has already done and what he continues to do on our behalf. So this group of onlookers, after after Peter preaches to them, they go, what do we do now? Which let me just say, that's the best posture to ever have. Whenever you hear something that you perceive to be a word from God, the very best thing you can do is, God, how do I respond to this? Let's be a people of response, right? These are people that don't even have Jesus, and they're saying, what what do we need to do? Let's respond, right? And Peter replied, repent. Repent, which very simply means you got to think differently about who God is and who Jesus is and what he has done and and what it has done for your life. you got to think differently about that. Repentance has a measure of recognizing and realizing, God, we've gone astray from you and we're sorry. And we apologize. And he says, and be baptized, every one of you. And what does that mean? It's, it's the public, not only confession and announcement that you are now in the family of God, you're following Jesus, but it's also the public witness that says, yes, we verify and validate that you are in the family of God. It's a corporate witness, baptism, the sacrament of baptism in the church. And then he says, and do this in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's not some arbitrary new age work. It is specifically in the name of Jesus that we repent, that we get baptized into his family and we say we're sorry and we receive deeply and gratefully 
the forgiveness of God. And then he says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So friends, all of us here today, as we come and with the body and the blood of Christ in our hands, I want us all to pray this together. With faith and obedience, let us just say, dear God, we repent for the ways we've sinned against you. We receive your forgiveness and we receive the crucified and the resurrected Lord. And we ask for your spirit in Jesus' name. The night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. Let's break the bread in our hands. And with his closest friends, he said, this is my body. It is broken for you. Brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, broken for you. Let us take and let us eat. And then with the cup, looking around the table, Jesus looked in the eyes of his friends and he says, there's a new agreement now. It's not an agreement based on what you can do. It's not works-based. It's a covenant. It's a covenant of the remission of sins that has been birthed and purchased by my blood. My blood, which is without sin, will cover you who are full of sin. Let us take and let us receive of the cup today. Thank you, Jesus. Our sins have been forgiven and we've been made new. Friends, let us sing a song of thanksgiving today for the goodness of God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You sound good, church. All of our voices. Praise Him, all creatures. Thank you, God. Guys, listen, this week you're going to encounter people that need who God is inside of you. It might be your spouse, it might be your kids, it might be your next door neighbor, it might be a stranger you meet and never ever run into again. And so today, as you are sent from this place, go forth in the power of God 